Studios, Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Oklahoma traveling for an 11 a.m. kickoff to Lawrence, Kansas to face the 2-3 and three Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, you know, the fact that Kansas is 2-3 and three is kind of a, a plus because they could easily be 1-4 and four or even 0-5 oh uh, after, you know, that the almost the midway point of the season for them. We are through the first month of the college football season, Oklahoma Number six nationally, Sooners um, just leading the nation in in, uh, in offense, taking their toll on just about everybody that they've come across this season so far. And I don't see how um, I don't see how Kansas is going to be any different in that. And we're certainly going to jump into that. But here's here's my first question uh, that I've got for you, uh, Mr. Decray. Uh, we're we're mo- one month into the season. Some teams have played five games in the Big Twelve. Some have only played four. Oklahoma Baylor right now stand is the only two undefeated teams that the conference has to offer. Baylor obviously not ranked right now. Uh, Oklahoma six, T- uh, Texas number eleven, Oklahoma State number twenty one. Those are your ranked teams right now in the Big Twelve. But the Baylor Bears, right now, they, they survived an onslaught of the Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, Iowa State scored three touchdowns to take a lead in the fourth quarter. Bears kick a walk off field goal to win the game. Are you believing in Baylor right now at 4-0? I, if you're asking me, is Baylor a Big 12 title contender, I think the answer is no. What I am saying about Baylor, though, is in the transition from Art Bryles to now Matt Rule, there has been significant improvement. And it really stems from the culture change that we're seeing in Waco. Matt Rule got there, correct me if I'm wrong, but his first foot... His first action after setting foot on campus was not to win games, but it was to turn these boys, quote unquote, into men, quote unquote. And I believe that's what he said, like I said, so correct me if I'm wrong. But we're seeing this culture shift, which Matt Rule from day one knew a byproduct of that would be success on the football field. So not only are we seeing players play with a little more discipline, we're also seeing players who are maturing, and because of that, they're seeing these successes by way of a win, a 4-0 record on the football field. But, man, we're just at the beginning. We've only scratched the surface of conference play. I believe Baylor is a middle-of-the-pack type team. There are several losses that still await them on the schedule this year. So just because they're 4 0 does not mean that I'm fooled into believing that they're better or capable of far greater things than what the roster actually says on paper. There you have it. Rich Cray uh, predicts that the Bears will have a losing season this year and not make a bowl. That's not not what I said at all. Baylor's better than I thought they were going to be. I, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm not that sure that I'm buying them right now at 4-0. I think defensively they're better uh, than than what I expected of them on when you look at the stats. I don't know that facing Brock Purdy and company as their conference opener really did anything to sell me on on their improved defense. I think that is to come, but uh, they're better than I thought they were. But I, I agree. I don't, I don't know that I would put them in at that spoiler row. So you've got Oklahoma, you've got Texas, the top two teams in the Big 12 through the first month of the season. You got Oklahoma number one, Texas number two. Talk to me about who you think. If if someone's going to edge out Texas for that spot in Arlington, 
Who's it going to be? Give me, give me two options. The most obvious answer that I think we have here is it's a, it's a team that Texas has already beaten, and it's the surprise team of the conference in Oklahoma State. I really believe that they've solidified themselves as a dark horse candidate. Granted, with the loss on the record, then they turn around, they hand Kansas State their first loss of the season. I I fully believe at this point in time, like you've said, it's the front runners are Oklahoma and Texas, but Oklahoma State's an extremely close number three for me. As far as the second candidate that I would throw out there, I would have said TCU or even an Iowa State had you asked me before this past weekend occurred, but that was completely shattered. Everything was was thrown out the door. I know TCU bounces back, has this big win over Kansas, but the, the loss to SMU was what shocked me 100%. So I'm going to have to go with Baylor (laughs) at this point in time at that number four spot. I really want to take Kansas State. I'm just not sold on what they're doing. I believe that there are some teams that are capable of shutting down the run, and I think it's going to expose some weaknesses here on Kansas State's or of Kansas State's offense. The thing that I like about Baylor is they have a dynamic playmaker at the quarterback position who can cause people to get a little bit uncomfortable and actually make things happen, whether that's with his feet or whether that's with his arm. That's why I'm giving Baylor that slight edge over Kansas State for me right now. All right, so now I'm confused because you went from Baylor being a middle-of-the-pack team to a Baylor being a, a, a team that could be a spoiler. Now, I want to point this out about TCU's loss, is that SMU is undefeated, and they're they're ranked in the top 25 right now. And I, and I, I don't – you know, TCU, I, I think I'm still on that – train so to speak um i i think i think there's a good chance that whoever plays oklahoma in the conference championship game i think there's a really good chance that they're going to have two losses so that doesn't necessarily to me eliminate iowa state just yet and i've got to hold on to iowa state because iowa state was my team i predicted at the beginning of the season to make their appearance in Arlington. Now, if you're asking me right now, am I going to wager any money on that? The answer is heck no. I'm not going to wager any money on that because I've not seen enough from the Cyclones to sell me on my own prediction, but I can't quite let go of them just yet. But I, I do like I, I Oklahoma State is is somewhat making a believer out of me. I'm not 100% sold on them yet, but they're, they're more on my radar. And I think I would still take TCU over Baylor at this point, just because I, I I look at the level of competition, I look at the thorough thrashing of Kansas. Now, the, again, it's Kansas and we're talking football, but this is a Kansas team that played West Virginia pretty tough. They, they won on the road at Boston College. So it's a Kansas team that's still bad, still really bad, but not as bad as, as what they have been. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to go with right now, if, if you maybe, maybe pick just one, I think it would be TCU, but then you've got Oklahoma State, Iowa State with honorable mentions in my in my book. Now, if you made me pick one between Oklahoma State and Iowa State, at this point, you can't help but go with the Cowboys. Overall body of work is just much much better than what we've seen from Iowa State. But I, I I'm I'm not give I can't because I picked them. I can't give up on the Cyclones just yet. 
All right, so that's going to be it for a little bit of a Big 12 talk. We got to jump into specifically Oklahoma football. We got players transferring, we got players moving positions, uh, and we got a big game with the Kansas Jayhawks. You're listening to the Sooner Nation podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us on the web. Okay, so this week, Miguel Edwards announces that he's going into the transfer portal. And I don't know as much as I don't know that Miguel Edwards announced that himself as much as Jason Kersey from the Athletic announced it for him. Miguel Edwards becomes the second Oklahoma defensive back along with Starlin Baldwin to go ahead and, and test the waters of the portal, which is quickly becoming the NCAA version of free agency. I'm not bothered by this. I, I've seen some people kind of bothered by, you know, what's going on? Why are these guys leaving? Well, we, we I mean, this is this shouldn't be anything that catches anyone by surprise, particularly if you listen to this podcast. Now, I'm we're I, I'm not as naive enough to say, hey, we're the best podcast there is out there in college football. But I think we do a decent job. And one of the things we talked about when Alex Grinch came was that there would have to be a turnover in the roster. And, and there's, a, there's a big difference. A lot of people don't get this, but it makes sense. It's just common sense. There's a big difference between changing a, a schematic, you know, changing the scheme of the defense, and changing the mindset of the defense. And Alex Grinch really had to come to Norman and do both. He had to change the way they were running this defense, X's and O's on the field. But really, he had to change the mentality of this defense. He had to change the way this team was approaching their games. And, and the truth is, when you change the mentality of the defense, that is a much more difficult thing to do than changes the X's and O's. If you're changing X's and O's, you're saying, guys, now we're going to attack it this way. We've been attacking it. This way, all the years before me, and look at what you've, you what you've got. You are the worst defense in college football. So now we're gonna we're gonna change these up, and we're gonna do these these alignments, and we're gonna do these calls with our defense. We're gonna become more aggressive, and we're gonna schematically. Here's what we're gonna do different. Now you can do that a lot easier than you can go to a guy and say, "Look, man, mentally you're not ready for this game. Mentally you're not ready for me to do." Uh, to, you're not ready to do what I want you to do, what I need you to do. And until you can get there mentally, I'm not putting you on my field. And and I'm not saying that's that's 100% what we've seen from Miguel Edwards and Starlin Baldwin. What I do know is Starlin Baldwin hadn't been there at all this season. And Miguel Edwards, you, you look at the number of people that have played on this defense this season, the number of guys that Alex Grinch has rotated on the field trying to keep fresh bodies out there, and that Miguel Edwards has only seen the field one time, that means he's either so far down on the depth chart, which I don't believe he is. He played in five games last season. He's listed going into this week. He was listed as or when it comes to number two at the cornerback position. But that means he's either that far down on the depth chart or mentally he's not gotten where Alex Grinch needs him to be. And if he's not there mentally and that's why he's not on the field and he chooses to leave base off of that, you can't help but be okay with that. One thing uh, I wanted to quickly address here. You began your statement by saying test the waters when it came to the transfer portal and seeing if there's any interest, if you'll draw any interest. But here's, I don't know if you've seen these quotes yet from Lincoln Riley, 
Lincoln Riley had specifically said, you're either on this team or you're in the transfer portal, which gave me the impression there is no middle ground. We've seen the transfer portal. If you want to say that it's been abused, by all means, go ahead and do that. But we've seen it lead to a little bit of turmoil from players who have just completely decided to sit out last season after playing several games, giving way to a new quarterback and a complete overhaul essentially in in the leadership department. Needless to say, when I'm looking at what transpired last season heading into this season, I'm taking those statements as, as there's no middle ground and A.D. Miller was the exception to this rule when it comes to the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, when we're looking at the attrition that's happening, the unfortunate scenario of college football is that is a part of the game. At the same time, we do have to factor in Alex Grinch didn't recruit these guys. I don't know what the plan is and how Alex Grinch had intended to use them, especially when they're appearing on the two deep. But I do know from experience of not personal experience, but what I've been told, there are coaches who take over a coordinator role and they go to an individual player and say, look, as harshly as possible from what I've heard, they will say, you will never play in my system. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Now, I'm not saying that's what Alex Grinch did. I'm not saying that's that's something, an approach that this coaching staff would even use as a tactic to clear some roster space for this incoming or the new recruiting class. But I am looking specifically at, at the cornerbacks where Edwards played. And I'm saying that the emergence of Jaden Davis has a lot to do for me has a lot to do with players entering their name, specifically Edwards entering his name into the transfer portal. And and here's why Jaden Davis has proven that he is more than capable of assuming a starting role. We've got one senior in Parnell Motley. who's currently holding down that starting role. Trey Brown, a junior is the other one. The future looks bright for Davis, especially if Trey Brown's going to be opposite of him anchoring this defense and anchoring the uh, this effort to slow down some of these incredible passers that the Big 12 is known to have. Well, when it comes to Jaden Davis, I mean, and I've said this since when we first saw him play, of the guys that are currently on this roster, Jaden Davis will be the best cornerback of the guys that are currently on this roster. And there's no you're, there's no doubt that Jaden Davis, the rise of Jaden Davis plays into this decision by Miguel Edwards. Jaden Davis is fundamentally sound. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the fastest guy. But he is the most fundamental player of this defensive secondary when we're talking about the cornerback positions. He, he can tackle. He's physical. He can cover. Again, he's only a freshman. So I'm not saying right now he's the best guy out there. But by the time his career is over with, and you, when you monitor the guys that are on this roster that he came in with, he will be the best of those guys. And again, a, a guy, and this is a reason not to be concerned about players going in the, into the portal, because a guy like Jaden Davis, who, who had no, no prior knowledge of what was going on with his defense, there is no doubt in anybody's mind. I mean, it's not our job to sugarcoat anything. And you cannot have watched this defense play and not and not accept this as fact. There were a lot of promises and a lot of things given 
and a sense of entitlement that overcame some of these defensive players based on the number of stars beside their name during their recruiting period. And that's part of the that's part of the mindset that Alex Grinch was tasked to change. Again, it's not just X's and O's. It is changing that mindset that you step on this field when you earn the opportunity to step on this field. Now, I don't believe, personally, I don't believe anybody told Miguel Edwards, you're not going to play for me. You're not going to play in this system. Because, again, when you look at the depth chart for the Kansas game, that number two was Jaden Davis or Miguel Edwards. Now, we know we know for a fact that, that based off what we've seen, that Miguel, uh, Miguel Edwards is not going to see the field before Jaden Davis. We know that. But you're talking about a guy who played in five games last year. He's only been in one, in one game this year. And now he's got a true freshman that's just outplaying him and getting time as that third back. It just makes sense. Again, it's easier to change the X's and O's than it is the mindset. And, and I, wish no, I wish nothing but the best for Miguel Edwards. And, and I could be totally off. It could just be, hey, I'm, I'm buried. But this is, this is a team that's not deep at the defensive back position. This is a team that's taken one of their star freshman receivers and trying to work him out at safety just so they can find bodies. So if there's a, if there's a desire to play, there's, there's, there's an opportunity somewhere. And he's a young guy. He, he's, not, he's not a veteran. He's not four years in. He, I mean, he's a young guy. But you're right. He was a Mike Stoops guy. He's not a, he's not a Grinch recruit. And I think some of that plays in to what you're doing. But here's the other thing that's good about this. And Jaden, like I said, Jaden Davis is the perfect example of, of what we're talking about here. Both both Starlin Baldwin and Miguel Edwards choosing to leave, should they I mean the portal, I still say being in the portal is not a guarantee that you're leaving. You're again testing the waters. You you may not be with the team right now. I get it. He's not on the roster. I, I get it. I, I understand what you're saying. I, I get it, but I but I do think if Miguel Edwards were to go back to the coaches and say, "Okay, I've thought through this. I, I want to stay. I, I I made a mistake. What do I need to do to earn my way to work my way back?" I don't think they would kick him out. Okay, I, I, so that's what I'm saying. Right now, not with the team, not on the roster, looking at the portal. Then there could be a plethora of reasons. But what that means to me is. One more guy that Alex Grinch gets to offer a scholarship to that's going to come in here without any prior knowledge, without any of the history of the sense of entitlement and the promises that were made and this 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 idea that I'm owed this instead of I have to earn it. Jaden Davis is a perfect example of a guy who can come in and work his tail off and earn his spot. And now because because Miguel Edwards is leaving, because Starlin Baldwin is leaving, two more guys get to come in and have an opportunity to do that. Here's all I really want to add to the conversation. When we look at a guy like Miguel Edwards, I do believe he's an extremely talented player. For unknown reasons, things aren't working out at the University of Oklahoma. But you don't get recruited by a handful of SEC schools if you don't have the potential to play on the defensive side of the ball. More specifically, you don't get recruited by Alabama and Auburn if they don't think you're capable of shutting down their in-state rival at some point during your career. Miguel Edwards is a talented prospect. I do believe there's some work to be done, obviously, but I'm going to completely disagree with you on, on the transfer portal. And like I said, it's because of the comments that were made about you're either on the team or you're in the transfer portal. 
I think we're going to see coaches start taking a harder stance on that so that they don't feel as though they've just been taken advantage of or a program doesn't feel as though it's been taken advantage of when you choose to play. And Miguel Edwards didn't hit that four-game limit, but you hit four games and then decide you're you're done, that you want to enter, enter the transfer portal. Well, someone else could have been, been getting very valuable reps at that same position when you were – had one foot out the door the whole way to go. Again, Miguel Edwards, extremely talented kid. I think he can be a difference maker. Is it at Oklahoma? Now that he's in the transfer portal, I'm saying no. Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, speaking of transfers, though, Trajan Bridges, Lincoln Riley's changed his stance on this. Lincoln Riley has gone from a week ago to nothing's been made permanent. We've made no permanent personnel roster changes as far as positions go uh, in regards to trading bridge trading bridges. Now this week, Lincoln rally has flipped. That is we, we, we know where we want, we want him to be. We have him on the side of the ball that we want him to be on. So he's not saying which side of the ball that is. He says he has an advantage as if Kansas is worried about Trajan bridges, as if Texas is worried about Trajan bridges. I mean, Look, I, the kid's got all the talent in the world. I mean, I think his future is bright at the University of Oklahoma. But there is zero, zero strategical advantage to not saying where Trajan Bridges is going to play football, on which side of the ball he's going to be on. So I'm going to ask you right now. I'm going to put you on the spot. Offense or defense, where do we see Trajan Bridges when the Sooners take the field in Lawrence, Kansas, to work out Saturday morning, to go through their pregame, to see what the receivers or the defensive backs Defense all the way. I mean, if if you want penalties and <laughs> mental mistakes, defense all the way. Granted, Trajan Bridges was thrown into an extremely difficult situation to make that jump on such short notice after being such a highly recruited wide receiver. I fully believe Trajan Bridges for the foreseeable future, unless some crazy scenario plays out and there's zero depth left, 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 Left. I still can't say it. Very difficult words. I know, right? If there's zero depth left at the safety position, that is the only reason Bridges would make the move over to the defensive side of the ball. You're talking about Kansas not having to worry that this shouldn't even factor into any deciding moments that they have in preparation for this game. But here's what I want to ask. When Kansas and Oklahoma step onto the field in Lawrence – the last time this happened, there was some antics pregame. Do you think we see anything now that Oklahoma is returning to Lawrence? This is Kansas. A different head coach, different mentality. Do we see anything pregame, no handshake, whatever happens? Do we see anything? No, there's, there's zero, zero, uh, you know, blowback on that from two years ago. And, and the reason why, Baker's gone. And then Kyler's gone. So that that was all. I mean, that was that was David Beatty who had was already had a foot out the door. I mean, people were putting for sale signs in his front yard. That guy was not keeping his job, and he was playing the disrespect card so hard with that team, trying to get them to do anything. And then, I mean, and I I always felt. I, I mean, I guess I was always indifferent to David Beatty, but there's no way you send your team captains out there without knowing what they're going to do when that, I mean, they even had the kids in on it. If you remember the little, the little kids that go out to do the coin toss, even the little kids were, 
like caught up in that and, and not offering a handshake to Baker. So, you know, that that's all gone. David Beatty's gone. All those players are gone. Those kids are grown up. Oklahoma's, you know, they're, they're two quarterbacks past that now. There's zero chance that that bleeds through to this Saturday. It's just something that had crossed my mind because of the the media coverage that game got, regardless of how how close the game actually was. As we begin focusing in here on the game, Matt, I know I've got some questions when it comes to this Kansas offense looking against the, the Oklahoma defense, but we'll get into that here in a second. Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, before we close out this segment and jump right into the game, I just wanted to say, um, I think Trajan Bridges had his chance on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, it, it's that it's that backup quarterback mentality. You know, who's who's Oklahoma's backup quarterback? Well, it's Tanner Mordecai. Unless Jalen Hurts is not available for five weeks. You know what I'm saying? And then it becomes Spencer Rattler's team. I, I think Trajan Bridges is an offensive player unless you see Pat Fields go down. And then suddenly Pat Fields is down and you're you're down. You, you went from three deep on your safety to two deep on your safety. And then you got to move the guy over. You, you have no choice. And that was, to me, that's what this move was about. Now, Oklahoma is deep. They are extremely deep at the receiver position. So it's, it's, it's easy also for me to see Trajan Bridges going out there and warming up and just saying, hey, for this year, 70% of your reps in practice are with the defense because we may need you there. 30% of your reps are with the offense because that's your future. But what we saw last Saturday against Texas Tech is that Trajan Bridges is not ready to play the safety position on this level. He's just not. And so they, if they need him in an emergency situation, it does make sense to keep him working out with the defense to try to get him as close to being ready as possible, hoping you never need him. But the truth of the matter is – the 2020 recruiting cycle is still going on. I do believe there are guys who are capable on the roster. It's why they've earned those starting positions. But they're just, under Alex Grinch, they're just going to bring in talent to groom underneath guys like Turner Yell. And we'll see them begin to produce, hopefully, at a high level. Real quick question, trivia time. Bear with me. Okay, but let me just say this. I, well, I agree 100% with what you said. The 2020 class isn't going to help them if, if Turner Yell or Pat Fields goes down right now. Trajan Bridges will, but 2020 class. Well, that's why I'm saying I can see a scenario in which they tell him 30% of your reps with offense because that's your future, but we are going we need you ready for defense. We need you in that system. 70% of your reps going with defense. I, I can see that. Right, and I completely agree, which is why I love the term that you used, emergency right. situation. Will we get there? Fingers crossed that we don't. I never wish wish injury upon anybody, even when it comes to opposing teams, but much less when it comes to our own team. Trivia for you. Do you know who the last safety at the University of Oklahoma who earned All-American honors was? I mean, automatically I want to go to Roy Williams, but I feel like there's been plenty after Roy Williams. I don't know. You, you, you just just hit me up with the answer. Um, I'm double checking this, but I believe it was Proctor. Okay. Um, all right. And once you once you look up on that, hey, this is a Student Nation podcast. I'm Matt Holfeld along with Rich DeCray. You can find us on Twitter 
at Sports Heartland, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. We've got to talk about Oklahoma and Kansas. There actually is a game on Saturday. Sooners are our 32-point favorites to win that game. We'll be right back to talk about it. All right, welcome back to the Sooner Nation podcast. Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. Um, hey, did something I, I want to just – we can just – you were wrong, weren't you, about Proctor? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and, and fix that. Yeah, it definitely wasn't wasn't Sam Proctor. That's the name because I knew that it was very close. It was Quentin Carter. Oh, okay. Quentin yeah. Carter. I totally had forgotten about Quentin Carter. Um, let me ask you this. Um, when you look when you look at Big Twelve scores, now we're we're only two weeks into conference play, and there's and not every team has played um, you know, more than one conference game, but the scores are down. And, and the, the, there, there's this talk of, of revival amongst the Big 12 defenses. And when we talk about that, you know, Texas Tech. Texas Tech was ha- supposed to have had one of the most improved defenses in the Big 12. And they were just completely wrecked by Oklahoma last Saturday in Norman. So my question is this. Are the Big 12 defenses better or are the offenses just young? I think the question you're posing and the answers you've given me to choose from are two extremes in this situation. One being that the offenses are just young and not as experienced, which leads to less productivity. And at the other side of the spectrum, you do have this idea of the defenses just being better. Reality for me, Matt, is I'm somewhere in the middle of that. I do believe that the defenses are improving. It's been a black eye for the big 12 for quite some time. You don't think so. You're shaking your head. No, we'll get to that here in a second. Cause I want to hear your argument and a lot of the stigma, the perception that the big 12 carried was they don't play defense. I don't think that was necessarily the case. We had prolific passers, top notch running backs and some of the best offensive lines in the country combined with, Receivers who ran crisp routes or were just talented off the charts. It was a combination for success against any defense that stepped onto the field against it. However, I want to take one quick example here because one of the most prolific offenses that we've seen in the history of the sport was Sam Bradford's years. Now, what happened when they met this Florida team? Without DeMarco Murray. This is true. This is true. But... Chris Brown was more than a capable back. It's just not the same offense without DeMarco Murray. And I do agree with you there. That was the one-two punch. And without that, it it is a significant drop-off in the running game. But you still had guys like Jermaine Gresham out there. You can help me out with some names if if you choose to. No, because I don't don't agree with what you're saying. I I think if you take any, any key player out of the lineup, you're not going to you're not going to perform at that level. Demarco Murray. I mean, I, I love Chris Brown. Chris Brown was that workhorse, blue collar guy, but but Demarco Murray was an NFL All Pro. I mean, he, he set the he was a rushing leader one time. Um, th- this is it's it's you take one player out of a well oiled machine, and that machine doesn't work anymore. I, I'm laughing. Over here, and the reason why is because let's take a little journey, shall we? Alabama is playing Georgia for the national championship. A key player is removed from the equation. Tua Tagovailoa enters the game, and the rest is history. 
Okay, you're right, but again, the 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 gap between Jalen Hurts and Tua, you 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 feel like the gap between those two guys. By the way, Jalen Hurts was still young in his career, but you're telling me you believe that the gap between Jalen and Tua was equal to the gap between DeMarco Murray and Chris Brown. I don't know that I can answer that on a, a yet. There's a huge gap. Well, I mean, look, look at what they did post-college. There's a huge gap between DeMarco Murray and Chris Brown. Chris Brown was a great compliment to DeMarco Murray, but he was not a feature back. He was a thousand-yard rusher because DeMarco Murray was in that backfield with him. Tua is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. That's a proven fact. I mean, we, we get that. No one's debating that. DeMarco Murray was one of the best running backs in the country. Proven fact. Chris Brown was not. He, he just wasn't. He was a good back. He was, like I said, a blue-collar workhorse guy, but not one of the best backs in the country. Let's go back to the original question here. Because um, like I said, I sit somewhere. I see your argument, Matt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nod, but it's not the original question. You're asking me, is it young offenses or better defenses? And like I said, I, I'm sitting somewhere in the middle at this point in time because I do believe that we've seen a lot of change here in the Big 12. We've seen a lot of change in the type of player that these teams are recruiting. We can go back to the Brent Venable days, and it was a guy who flowed towards the ball schematically, and they recruited guys who had that type of speed, specifically at the linebacker position. It was one of the greatest linebacking crews under Brent Venables that we've ever seen, regardless of if you want to go past or present from that moment. Needless to say, it's a different mentality, it's a different schematic, and it's a different type of recruit. And I think the way that these Big 12 teams have started recruiting and started scheming is specifically because of the rise of the offense. Now, here's what we're seeing across the nation as a byproduct of the success that let's just go specifically and say Oklahoma has had with the spread offense. We're now seeing that begin to infiltrate some of these other conferences who have been known for a power rushing game or their games have been decided solely in the trenches. I'm looking at the Big Ten for the second one in the SEC for that first statement, but we're seeing that begin to spread across the nation. And it looks to me like some of these powerhouse defenses i'm going to go into the stats because i was working on an article about this that i was going to post later in the week there is only one sec team that is in the top 10 total offense when we look at the rankings the amount of yardage they're giving up there's only one sec team that's up there and that's not something i think we would normally have said five years ago or prior to that so all I'm getting at here when I'm saying with the Big 12, I think we've got coaches who are now in place who understand the spread offense and have learned to adapt to the different looks and the different talents and the height and physical capabilities of some of these receivers. And they've begun to recruit players who have the ability to not completely nullify it, but have the chance to challenge that. And we're seeing that in, uh, with Oklahoma. T.J. Vasher, a guy I said I was worried about with Texas Tech being able to go up and high point the ball and shield a defender from even remotely getting close to it. But he had the pass that was directly to him in his hands in the end zone. And, and what happens? Oklahoma, the defender, I can't remember specifically who it was, 
Patrick Fields thanks you thanks thanks you he thanks me thank for, thank thank you for that but he he gets his hand in there and knocks it loose just enough that when Vasher hits the ground he no longer has possession of that ball and so we're seeing the evolution like I said schematically but also in the recruiting and the type of player that the Big 12 is pulling in okay here here's what this comes down to if if defense, if bad, if the Big 12 doesn't play defense, if that was the answer to the the just astronomical, mind-blowing stats the Big 12 was putting up offensively, if the answer was as simple as, well, they just don't play defense at that conference, if that was the answer, then the why is the SEC implementing the spread offense? Why is the Big 10? And the, the answer is the offense. Think about this. Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, that's just from Oklahoma. Will Greer, Patrick Mahomes, think about the guys that in the last three or four years that have gone through the Big 12. That's just quarterbacks. Look at the receivers. Look at the running backs that this conference has produced. Now, we all know Jalen Hurts is the guy. He as much as as much as Sam Ellinger, don't you dare flash the horns down at me, or I will never forget you for as long as I live. I will find a way to get retribution. As much as he wants to think that he is the premier quarterback in the Big 12, he's not the Heisman front runner. He's not the guy that's being like the spotlight on Sports Center every Saturday night. Jalen Hurts is the spotlight quarterback for the Big 12. He is that premier guy. Who's next? For Oklahoma? In the Big 12. Who is the next premier quarterback? I don't necessarily. I, I I have two candidates. You're 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 making my argument right now by just going. I I don't I did. Yeah, I, I really don't have an answer. Like I said, I have two candidates who could step up and fill that role, but one of them's got to figure out a way to not be so injury prone. Alan Bowman is that first guy, and then we a young guy, a young guy, yes. And then we've got the the kid up at Iowa State. Help me with the name. Brock Purdy, a young guy. Yes, thank you. Everyone, Matt, everyone takes time to learn to evolve. Who's the next guy to answer your question all right? No, I don't, no. I'm saying I'm making that face and that gesture at you because everyone takes time to evolve. Making the point of my argument, these offenses are just young right now. Look at Chuba Hubbard. You, you realize what's going on in the state of Oklahoma right now, not just with the Sooners. In the state of Oklahoma, you have the number one quarterback in the country in Jalen Hurts. You have the number one running back in the country in Chuba Hubbard, and you probably have the number one and won A receivers in the country with CeeDee Lamb and Tylen Wallace. Chuba Hubbard's a young guy. Spencer Sanders, a young guy. These offenses are young. Look at Oklahoma's offensive line. They're all redshirt sophomores across the bill. If they can all get healthy and go on the field at the same time, the bill being both top five, all redshirt sophomores. This is a young offense in the Big 12 Conference. And those power name quarterbacks... You don't have the Pat, Pat Patrick Mahomes. You don't have the Baker Mayfields. You, you don't have the Will Greers. You've got the Austin Kendalls and the Sam Ellingers. And it's like Jalen Hurts and the guys now where it was this, this power. I mean, think back to that, that game, the Baker Mayfield-Patrick Mahomes game in Lubbock, Texas. Over 1,000 yards of offense. Look what those guys are. Where, where are they right now? That The Big 12... 
And, and it's not about defense. It's about offense. You don't play for shutouts in the Big 12. You play for shutouts in the SEC because you're going to run three times and punt. But you don't get that in the Big 12. That's why you're starting to see that spread. Final, final statement on this, because we really do got to talk about Oklahoma and Kansas. But my final statement here is this. When you look at just, just go last season, bowl records, Big 12 versus SEC, you saw two things happen. You saw the Big 12 have a winning record against SEC. And you saw the average points per game allowed by SEC defense elevate against every Big 12 team that they played. Now, Joe SEC fans go, yeah, but we beat you in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, you, you did. Congratulations. But that doesn't make my point less valid. How many points did Oklahoma score against Alabama? And how many points did Alabama give up on average? I think you have one team, your flagship team in the conference, playing just terrible defense. And the rest of the conference is marked for it. That's the last thing I got to say about that. Uh, we got to talk about Oklahoma, Kansas. But you, if you want to, if you if you want to jump in there and, and rebuff or say something else, you can. Uh, you're saying no. You're just looking at me like I'm I'm done talking. Yeah. The only thing I I wanted to interrupt you was because that Baker Mayfield Patrick Mahomes game. I don't think fans knew what they were watching until today, which is 100% agree. Yeah. Just absolute insanity to me. Okay, so we've got about 20 minutes left on the podcast. Uh, Oklahoma offense versus Kansas defense. The Jayhawks, they're bad. <laughs> they're bad across the board. 70th in the nation in scoring defense. One thing I've noticed about Kansas with their defense, and I have this actually posted at heartland-sports.com when you look at Oklahoma's keys to offensive success, is one of the things you notice about Kansas is they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty balanced on how teams attack them. And part of that problem is, part of the reason why they're balanced is because they give up over 200 yards a game on the ground. And when you're allowing opponents an average of 200-plus yards per game on the ground, you don't really have to pass that much. But, but I think when you look at Lincoln Riley, what Lincoln Riley does is he's notorious for passing to run. He uses the pass to set up the run. He spreads the field. He gets those linebackers spread out. He gets the defensive back spread out. And then he punches you right in the guts with Trey Sermon or Kennedy Brooks, or Ramondre Stevenson. So I, I think the key for Oklahoma on Saturday is early to remain balanced. You want to you have a balanced attack early. The Sooners should be up by multiple touchdowns at the half. And the reason why that's going to be is because what Kansas has, what has been done to Kansas with a balanced attack is going to be their poison on Saturday because the most Lincoln Riley is at his most dangerous when he's balanced. Why is, why is this offense... I mean, when you think about Baker Mayfield and you think about Kyler Murray, you've got a guy who's been on campus since January, late January at that. Why is this offense so much better right now than what it has been? Well, part of it is the level of competition, but another part of it is they, they, uh, they've yet to find an opponent that can take away something. And so they have been able to, for through four games, be completely balanced on offense. And Lincoln Riley will never be more dangerous than when he can do whatever he wants on the ground and whatever he wants in the air. If you can't take something away, he is going to rack up 600-plus yards of offense against you. And that's what we've seen through four games. I think we'll see that through the first half. And then I think, I think the other thing we see in the second half, it becomes uh, a bevy of backups, if you will. Spencer Rattler still has eligibility to maintain his red shirt. Uh, obviously, we know Tanner Mordecai will be the first guy off the bench. But you run the ball. This will be a run-heavy second half for Oklahoma. And that brings my boy Ramondre Stevenson uh, into play 
because he's the only running back. I don't know if you knew this or not. Maybe you did. He's the only running back on this team to have scored a touchdown in every game so far. And I say that streak continues through five games Saturday in Lawrence. The only other thing I'm going to throw out there, I'm going to give you the mic. The only other thing I throw, I want to throw out there is I, we've yet, we, in one game, UCLA, we've seen this offense, the, the starting five that we know Bill Beanbow wants to roll with on this offense. We've seen them one time. And that was at UCLA, and they were dominant and gets what was a pretty decent UCLA defensive front. Now, Oklahoma has not seen anything like what they're going to see a week from now against Texas. I don't think we see that starting five. I think as long as guys are nicked up and as long as guys are still nursing injuries, there is no need to rush them back against Kansas. But what they do need to do is they need to continue to cut out the penalties. They need to be cohesive. They need to work together as a, as a gelled unit. So I, I think you see uh, some some quick, cohesive working together with Bill Beanbow's uh, guys up front. So my quick question for you, uh, your final comments there about the offensive line. Do we see Bray Walker starting again? Yes or no? Yeah, I think we do. Okay, I'm I'm, in, I'm bored with you. Here's the reality for me. I'll start with the offensive line and say that Oklahoma, under the direction of Bill Beanbow, has produced some exceptional talent. And it's the way that Bill Biedenboe coaches. It's what he instills in these players that makes them great. It's what makes them different. It's what sets them apart from the rest of the country. When I'm looking at this game and specifically hinting at the idea of a balanced attack, I'm going to go one step further because of the second half. I don't expect this to be an extremely competitive game, but I, I think this is the first time where we say that we see the number of rushing attempts heavily outweigh the number of passing attempts. Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts having targets like where I'm not going to say Grant Calcaterra because I don't know where he's at still, but having targets like a CD lamb, a Charleston Rambo, the emergence and versatility where we're starting to see Jeremiah Hall be used in, in many different situations, more specifically in the red zone. I, I believe he got a carry against Texas Tech and ran that one in the end zone. Needless to say, we're seeing that versatility begin to emerge out of Hall, but it's the targets that Hertz has available to him that makes this passing game so dangerous. It's why they they have the ability to strike quickly and strike often, but it's also the reason when Oklahoma gets that lead, I do think we see the dominance of these running backs, but more specifically, we see these offensive linemen pushed to the to actually accomplish the task that's ahead of them. Oklahoma, I think it's easy to forget that they still run a power rushing attack. I think it's easy to forget that the bread and butter has been the guard pool, and those take time to develop. So what I would like to see out of this offense this week is them continue to work on opening up those running lanes instead of making the running backs work a little bit harder just to get that yardage. See that guard pull come into play. See that develop. And a guy, you're gonna, I know you're going to peg Stevenson, but I'm just going to throw all of the running backs, more specifically Kennedy Brooks, break some long runs. That's really all that I'm looking for out of the offense this week. Efficiency as well as... The only reason I can see this game remain somewhat uncomfortable is if Oklahoma turns the ball over. So in any game, I, I want to see this offense protect the football and value each possession. 
and I don't know if you realize this, but but last week against Texas Tech was the first start of Kennedy Brooks' career. Did you know that? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, that's fine. Um, but here's the thing: is it's it's easy to play a backup when you've got Trey Sermon on the roster. Well, no, no doubt. I mean, I, and I think it's with Oklahoma, and it's always been Trey Sermon or Kennedy Brooks that really they would be co-starters. And and not, clearly, clearly those two guys are the guys you want to watch in this in this game because I I, I think Oklahoma does run the ball because they, what they want to do is they want to get out healthy. That's why they want to build a, a big first half lead, and that's why you're going to see Ramondre Stevenson. The only reason I listed Ramondre Stevenson is because of the touchdown streak. I think it comes five games uh, in a row this week. Okay, defensive side of the ball. Um, again, I, I, you know, you you look at at what you talked about earlier was that transfer portal guys being able to play four games and and save the red shirt and then look to go somewhere else. And that's something that's really kind of bitten less miles this week with their their starting. Well, I mean, he is one of their starting running backs, but they're they're leading running back. Which a lot of people tuning into this remember what Puka Williams did last year with 100 plus, you know, 200 plus yards against Oklahoma. But suddenly you think, well, wait, wait a minute, he's not the leading rusher. No, the leading rusher for Kansas was Khalil, and it's it's Herbert. But I always, anytime I see a name H E R B R T, I want to say a bear. You know, just because of the whole Louisiana connection, Cajun thing. But Herbert, I mean, 384 yards of offense this season, 8.9 yards per carry. The Jayhawks are going down to Lawrence, Kansas, are going down to Fort Worth to play TCU, and and he's all like, oh yeah, by the way, coach, I don't think I want to go. I, I think I want to consider my options here and maybe look at a at a graduate transfer because he's four games in. You know, Les Miles clearly was taken aback by that last week in in Fort Worth. Now this week, it, it's it's made known he's not with the team, which puts Puka Williams in the spotlight. Not that Puka Williams wasn't getting. Uh, any reps or any carries as it was, but I mean, if you're Oklahoma, I think defensively you start right there because that's that's a, that's an area that's been damaged. And and can you? I mean, it, 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 this is the Kansas Jayhawks. So and we talked about the lack of quarterbacks in in the Big Twelve, and we talked about the young guys in the Big Twelve. Take away what Les Miles likes to do. Les Miles likes to run the football. When he was at Oklahoma State, he had Tatum Bell. He loved to run the football. When he was at LSU, he loved to run the football. That hasn't changed since he went to Kansas. So to me, defensively, you start right there by taking away the run. The other thing I, I want to say about this defense, I, I feel like what we what we need to point out, and because this isn't me. Someone said one time, "This is you. You're just finding a place to nitpick." Okay, I'll take that, but. The defense said this, not me. Alex Grinch said that's not me. The standard is two turnovers a game. Well, they're behind now. They're behind by one turnover because they only got one last week. Parnell Motley had a chance to make it two, but they only got one. So you got to force turnovers. You got to force turnovers if you're this defense. You got to catch up. And then you want to see fundamentals. You, we, we talked about how the fundamentals are, um, are a part of, of this team and and the revamp of this defense, you want to see them avoid making those mental mistakes. Yeah, we are going to be on the same page for a majority of the defense, if not all of the defense here. I, I would love to see Oklahoma own the line of scrimmage. And I've said that on the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to just repeat that on the defensive side of the ball here. But we've seen this 
emergence of Neville Gallimore, who is a complete nightmare in the middle currently of the four teams that they faced. I am looking at things through crimson glasses, and I'm not afraid to admit that. But there were several occasions sitting in the stands on Saturday where I felt as though Neville Gallimore was clearly being held, which resulted in not a sack for him, just a quarterback pressure. But I love to see Oklahoma get that pressure. I love to see them win this line of scrimmage and force Kansas to throw the ball because of what you've mentioned about the coaching style of Les Miles, but the stats are also going to back that up. I believe Kansas is throwing the ball roughly 26 times a game, and they're rushing it maybe 32 times a game. So they're trying to stay balanced at this point, but the rushing attempts are going to be on the heavier side than the passing attempts. So again, winning that line of scrimmage, getting into the backfield, but I also want Oklahoma to play sound football on defense. We saw a couple of mental mistakes. We saw some penalties come up against Texas Tech that helped them drive down the field or sustain drives more often than what I felt like it should this past outing, especially given the margin of victory. So playing sound football mentally and physically. I don't want to see anyone lunging. Um, that's a trend that has slowly evaporated from this defense, but it creeps up every now and then. By lunging, you mean just lowering your head and, and firing, not because you do need a lunge to tackle, but you got to keep your head up and your arms out. And I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying. But when you say you don't want to see any lunging, you mean that just lower my head and shoot like a missile, oftentimes taking out my own teammate or just tackling air. Correct. I don't I don't want you to torpedo someone. Okay. okay? Um, so sound football mentally and physically knowing where you are spatially, if you can make that tackle, if you're just forcing someone back into traffic instead of letting them hit the edge. One thing that has concerned me about this Oklahoma team has been that edge defense so far. So what will Oklahoma do in an attempt to seal up those edges and not let these ball carriers get around and get that five or six yards, or even if it's 25 yards upfield what will they do whether that's schematically talent wise i don't care but i'm curious to know what will they do because you've mentioned kansas has now their their hand has been forced the feature back is puka williams and we know that he's a capable running back so if he being less miles if he attempts to attack these edges how does oklahoma respond those those are the things that i'm going to be watching for all right, we've got to do our that that's our offensive and defensive keys to game for Oklahoma. Let us know where you agree or disagree. You can hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland at Sports Heartland on Twitter, or you can just drop us a comment at heartland-sports.com on the podcast post. We've got to give our defensive players to watch, and we've got to give our Big 12 rundown, including our score predictions for Oklahoma, Kansas. Okay, so I think we're going to have, like we did the offensive side of the ball, I think we're going to have the same defensive players to watch as well because you've already mentioned one of them. So I'll go ahead and throw yours out there because I kind of stole the thunder trying to keep us from going into overtime with this podcast by just throwing out all of my uh, my defensive keys all at once. So uh, I could tell, I could see the look of disappointment on your face. I, I know I stole some of the thunder there. So give me your, your defensive guys to watch. I... Obviously, I'm going to go with Neville Gallimore here. I think he can be a disruptor 
up front. If Kansas is going to run the ball more often than they pass it, like I expect them to do, I do expect him to play a major role. You may not hear his name called as often as a guy like Murray, but he's still going to have an impact on the game. So Neville Gallimore is going to be that first one for me. <laughs> I do have to go with a linebacker here as well. And it is Murray. Um, I do think Murray is going to step up into a couple of roles. One, he's going to be asked to step up in that run support, but in third and long situation, just situational, I won't say just third and long, but situational aspects of the game. I think Kenneth Murray is going to be asked to drop into coverage and he's excelled the speed that this kid possesses as well as the knowledge of the game and just the instincts that he has and the knack for where the ball is going has been absolutely incredible to watch this season. So I've got Neville Gallimore. I've got Kenneth Murray because of the run game that that Kansas is going to put on the field. Okay, so let's go through the Big 12 rundown uh, for the first time in three weeks. All five, all five, all 10 Big 12 teams. I mean, we're talking about Big 12. It just doesn't make sense because Big 12, 10 teams, five games. All 10 Big 12 teams are in action this week. Three 11 a.m. kickoffs. Uh, we're going to give our score prediction for Oklahoma, Kansas here in a minute. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, an interesting game to watch because both of them with one loss in conference. And again, I, I do believe that that Oklahoma will face a two-loss conference team in the Big 12 championship game. I, I believe that is a legitimate possibility. But just because I believe that, it doesn't mean you want to be that two-loss team. One of these guys will be. The Cowboys currently a 10-point favorite over the Texas Tech Red Raiders in Lubbock. Just simple question. Do they cover the spread or not? Is the spread at 10 currently? Yeah. I, I believe Oklahoma State does cover the spread the confidence that they're playing with right now and the talent they have on the offensive side of the ball is far greater than what Texas Tech has, in my opinion. And for that reason and that reason alone, I, I think they win this one by 10. I I don't think they do. I, I think they barely miss playing uh, covering the spread. I think this is an eight to nine point win for Oklahoma State. Now, Oklahoma State, I got to say, I was wrong. I, I was completely wrong on Oklahoma State last week. I had them losing to Kansas State. Totally just changed everything that they did defensively. Now they're going to play a, a different type of schematic on the offensive side of the ball. It's still Jet Duffy, still a backup quarterback. I think Oklahoma State, too many offensive weapons. They win this game, but I don't think they get out with a comfortable win in Lubbock. I say it's an eight to nine point win for Oklahoma State, not covering the spread. TCU, Iowa State, the other 11 a.m. game. This game is in, is in Ames. Again, uh, if you're TCU, you control your own destiny right now. In the Big 12 race, if you're Iowa State, you do not, after losing at Baylor last week, Iowa State a three-and-a-half-point favorite. They win or lose. These are two, what in the preseason, these were what we expected to be two of the better defenses in the conference. TCU has an anemic offense. Iowa State not shown that they can do much better. <laughs> I see why the over-under is set at 43, which seems extremely low for a Big 12 conference game, by the way. It's because of the young offenses. Does Iowa State get the win? Um, No. Again, we're, we're, we're not. I'm not going to bet you a Gatorade because you don't pay up. I'm still waiting on my Gatorade to show up. But I think Iowa State does. I, I think Matt Campbell – again, I have to be a believer in Iowa State, okay? So note that I have to be a believer – 
in Iowa State. But I think Matt Campbell and company, their backs are firmly against the wall, sitting at 2-2. Two and two. This is a team that just a couple weeks ago was ranked in the top 25. They, they blew it against Baylor last week, and it's the defense who gave up the win. They take that personally. Texas Tech, or Texas Christian, a team that I said was right now one of the players, one of my sleepers. This is big for them to go on the road at Ames. I think I don't think they cover. It's three and a half. I, I see them winning by a field goal. I don't see them winning by a touchdown. That means, in my opinion, TCU covers this spread, but I think Iowa State gets the win. Texas at West Virginia. The only I think the only thing here for the Red uh, for the um, for the Longhorns is that they are traveling to Morgantown. That's not an easy venture. The the Texas ten and a half point favorites uh, over under in this game sixty one. Both teams sitting at three and one. The fighting Austin Kendalls against the storming Tom Hermans. I think Texas wins this game, but again, I'm I'm leery of that ten and a half point spread. With no running back, it's it's difficult to think that you can just run the ball to consume time and pull away from a team by not giving them the ball back. Um, Texas is in that situation. West Virginia, I still don't know where I sit with them. I think the line's probably about right with Texas being on the road. Texas wins. Is it by 10.5? The line initially was at 11. I'm going to say it's a 10-point game that they don't cover, but they do get the win. Yeah, I can see that. I, I'm, I'm in that same boat. All right, final game before we give our predictions on Oklahoma and Kansas. Baylor traveling to Manhattan. Baylor, the only other undefeated team in the Big 12 with Oklahoma. The Bears at the Wildcats. Kansas State, a one-and-a-half-point favorite. I mean, these are all pretty close point spreads this week, except for Oklahoma and Kansas. Bears, Bears a one-and-a-half-point underdog on the road. Kansas State, do they, do they bring the Big 12 down to one undefeated team by beating Baylor? I can't answer that question with a yes or a no until I give you my explanation, okay? Let, let me just throw this out here. I do believe that this is the best rushing defense that Baylor is going to face. I'm interested to see how they respond to that. Kansas State has been the second surprise team here of the Big 12 Conference so far. Baylor, I don't think, is more talented. Um, I, I do think at the quarterback position, they have an edge, though. So I am going to give Baylor a, a second win or a, a win to remain undefeated, handing Kansas State a second loss. OK, again, we're opposite sides here. Uh, Wildcats by a field goal. Baylor, Baylor falls. Um, you, you yourself said they're middle of the pack team. They fall back to the middle of the pack with this. OK, that leaves us Oklahoma, Kansas. Sooners a 32 point favorite in this game. I think that's spot on. I've got Oklahoma 52, Kansas 20. Hey Amen. Our score prediction is going to be very similar. I think Oklahoma covers in this one, but I think it's a very similar score to what we saw last week, where it's 55-17. All right, that's it. That's it for us. He's Rich. I'm Matt. This has been the Sooner Nation podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. Look us up on iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a, If you like us, give us a rating, clearly. Um, leave a comment. Hit us up on Twitter. We'd love to hear back from you. Enjoy your college football weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.